Well, good morning, uh, church family. Uh, my name's John Bailey. I'm the chairman of the Riverview Personnel Committee. And um, I pop up on occasion just to um, kind of make sure our church is working through and understanding our interim process. Um, you realize it's been five months now that we've been without a pastor, and uh, our church has been uh, doing well. Uh, I'm grateful to our church leadership, our, our, our pastors. Um, uh, this has been a time where God continues to work at Riverview, and uh, we praise his name. Uh, this is still a wonderful church for those of you who are visiting to find God, to be fed, and find a place of service. But in the uh, last five months, the Lord has blessed us with a wonderful interim. Dr. Marshall has been just tremendous. And on the occasion when he's not here, we'll go out and, and, and find a pulpit supply. I said earlier that I went to my network of friends and I shook the tree and Neil fell out. So uh, Dr. Franks is uh, a friend of mine. Um, he is the, uh, Dr. Neil Franks is the president of the Missouri Baptist Foundation wonderful ministry of our Missouri Baptist uh, Network uh, in Jeff City, and uh, we're excited to have him here. He comes from the heart of a pastor. For many years, he was a senior pastor at the First Baptist Church in Branson, and uh, very successful there, and uh, familiar with our church, and we're delighted to have you here, Dr. Franks, and we welcome you. Thank you for taking the time with us. You've got your Bibles, if you'll turn them to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 19. It is my pleasure to be with you. I feel like I'm at home with the lake out there coming from Branson, and so I've been uh, working in the role of the foundation uh, for about nine months now. In case you don't know what the foundation is or does, our job is to make money count. That's what we do, and we help churches get uh, better returns on their savings through uh, savings accounts, uh, term deposits, we help churches with church loans, those kind of church financial things. And then we also help individuals as they think through how they may be able to give uh, to their causes that they enjoy doing, church or other ministries. We help them do that, uh, do estate planning, plan gifts, those kinds of things as well. And so we're happy to serve you. In fact, you're one of the churches that we have the privilege of serving, and I get the privilege of serving you today. Uh, by opening up God's Word and seeing what it has for us. I did get a text early this morning from Dr. John Marshall, and uh, he was uh, saying how much he has already fallen in love with you guys, he and Ruth, and they'll be back very soon and look forward uh, to gathering again in worship together. It is my pleasure to be here, and I am excited for what the Lord wants to do in our hearts today. In Luke chapter 19, we find this story. It may be a familiar story to you. If not, I think it uh, will become one of your favorites as well. Luke chapter 19, reading from the ESV translation. He, being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when the crowd heard it, they all grumbled, saying, He has gone to be to the guest of a man who is a sinner." 
And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, <coughs> Excuse me, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Have you ever been overlooked? I mean, you're standing there and you clearly are the best choice for whatever it is that you're going to be chosen for, only to discover that the person in authority chooses somebody else instead of you. Maybe it was the boss man, and you'd been at that job for years, and you knew that you were to take over, you are going to take that next step up, and they chose that new person who just showed up that day. Ever had that happen to you? Or maybe, maybe the coach thought somebody else was going to be better than you, and they didn't put you on the team, or they didn't hand you the ball at that moment. Or maybe in the big musicale, the drama teacher didn't give you that role. Or maybe, just maybe, you've been taking care of those kids and those grandkids and it comes up on your birthday and they don't remember to call or to thank you or to even post anything on Facebook about how you're the great world's greatest grandma or grandpa or Mimi or Papa or Nina or whatever they call everybody nowadays. And you go, I can't believe that I've been forgotten and I'm overlooked. Has that ever happened to you? It stinks when that happens to you, doesn't it? It's not a good feeling because you knew you were the right one for the job, but apparently nobody else was informed about how great you were. That's pretty tough. But what's even worse is when it feels like that God has overlooked you, that God has forgotten you. I mean, you thought you were doing what he asked you to do, so you took out this step, you did exactly what he thought you thought he was supposed to do, and then he disappears on you took a job, you got into this relationship, you did whatever it was, and then all of a sudden he disappears and you look around and go, God, what happened to you? I thought you were going to lead me and you are never going to forsake me and now I feel like I have been abandoned, I have been left alone. Are you there? Have you ever been there? If you're there today, I've got good news for you. You're not the only one who's been there because the Bible is full of stories of people who thought they were doing what God asked them to do only to discover or only to feel like that God had abandoned them. Do you remember Abraham? This guy whose name was Abram, and God calls him out to a place that he did not know where he was going, and God promised that he was going to be the father of many people of this huge nation, except there was a problem. He didn't have any children. And Lord, how are you going to fulfill this? And he looks at his wife and says, you're not getting any younger and weeks go by, and months go by, and years go by, and decades go by, and to the point that he hopes she doesn't become pregnant at that point. Isn't there a stage of that in life where you go, oh no, let's, let's have grandkids instead. We can send them home. Wouldn't that nice to be able to do that? And sure enough, she becomes with child, and now it seems like this great promise is going to be fulfilled, and then God asks him to take that son through whom the promise is going to come and to sacrifice him. Or consider Joseph. Remember Joseph had this great dream where he gathered all his brothers around and says, Hey, brothers, this dream, it's pretty amazing. I had this dream, and all of you are going to bow down to me. This is going to be awesome. Brothers didn't take it like it was a very good idea after all. In fact, they were so excited about that, they sold him off after they beat him pretty good. And Joseph wakes up in the bottom of a pit and then taken to a foreign country and wonders, Lord, how is this ever going to happen? And then he 
moves up in this particular family, and then this woman kind of comes after him, and he denies her, and God honors him by sending him to jail for having done that and done the right thing, only to finally move up in the jail, become the most important person in the jail, and tells the couple of guys by interpreting dreams that when you get out of here, don't forget about me, which they precisely got out, or at least one of them got out, and forgot about him. Has that ever happened to you? Seems like it happens a lot, that God's promised, and then God doesn't fulfill the promise, and we're kind of left wondering, God, don't you see me? What's, what's happened here? In fact, churches can go through that sometimes. Hey, we had this great thing happen, and then pastor leaves, or something else happens, and we go, God, what are you doing? God, have you forgotten? But it's in this story from the New Testament that I think we get an understanding and get some tips and get some knowledge on what God is looking for, not so that we can manipulate God or send $25 to this ministry or have this particular seed faith that goes out there so that if we do this, God will do that, not to manipulate God, but to discover what God is looking for so that we might become what he's looking for so that we might be seen again. And believe it or not, it's in this story that we oftentimes look at and think about being a kid's story, don't we? we look at this passage and we go, oh, we know Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And if that's not bad enough, a wee little man was he. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if a single man anywhere who would like to be known as a wee little man. And Zacchaeus in heaven going, boy, it's great I'm in the Bible and all, but that's all that you know about me is that I'm a wee little man. Even our leprechaun friends are not very excited about being referred to as wee little men. And so we look at the story, we sing the song, we hum it probably for the rest of the week now, some of us. And we think of this as a children's story, yet in fact this story is not so much a children's story, it's an adult story. In fact, it's an adult story for when we feel like God has abandoned us. Now where is that in the passage? Well, it comes from a couple of things that we know, because the Bible says not only was Zacchaeus a wee little man, it doesn't say that, it just said he was small in stature, but it also says that he is rich, and it tells us how he became rich, not because of great investments, not because he was brilliant at real estate, or he bought some lake property a few years ago when it was cheap. has nothing to do with those things, but he got his wealth and his riches from being a tax collector. In fact, he had moved his way up from being just a tax collector to the chief tax collector, and therefore he was rich. Now, why is that? Well, in those days... Their tax system was much different than ours, even though it's pretty obsessive sometimes today. And we have all just come through April, and those of us who are self-employed now are looking forward to June 15th and the date that we write the next check. But during those times, they were unregulated in the sense that they are regulated today. See, today, they write tax code on us, and we can go to the paperwork, we can do the calculations, and we know exactly what we're supposed to give based on how much we receive. But in those days, the Roman Empire was trying to get as much money as they possibly could, and so they would hire out people to go and get taxes from their different kinds of people. See, in that time, it was not a society like ours exactly. There were lots of different people groups that were in bondage, in slavery, who had been captured. And so what they would do is they would find somebody among that group who knew what everybody made in that particular category, and they would work a deal out with them. And in fact, it was kind of this deal that if you would like to be, betray your people and become a traitor with the Roman government, then you will know who makes what, so you can tax whatever you want to. We require this amount, and whatever you take over that, you can keep for yourselves. Now, I don't know if that sounds like an appealing job for you or not, 
But most of us are kind of concerned about what our people think of us, whoever our people are. We like to be, feel good about being recognized in our community, but there is something in Zacchaeus that is so broken that he doesn't care about that. We don't know if he was extremely poor. We don't know if there was difficulty in the family, but he was willing to sell out in order to make money, in order to become somebody. And he did that. But what he didn't realize was that when he did that, it broke all of the relationships with those that he cared about, and it didn't move him up in the structure because the Romans didn't welcome him in and make him a friend of theirs. In fact, they looked at him just like he was, a traitor, and so now he doesn't have any relationship with them. See, he was able to tell himself this lie that if he had enough stuff, he would be okay. That if he made enough money, he would be fine. Now, you and I are able to tell ourselves that lie all the time, aren't we? Because we say, hey, if you make $25,000 a year, if I could just have $50,000 a year, I'd be fine. But those of us who make $50,000, no, you can't be fine at $50,000. It takes $100,000 to be fine. And those who have $100,000, they know better than I do that it's not going to be enough to have $100,000. You need $250,000. And those with $250,000 know that it takes a half million dollars to actually be comfortable. And so it goes on and on until at some point, far beyond me, is the level where you go, you know what? It's just not enough. It doesn't satisfy. Zacchaeus could no longer tell himself the lie that you and I tell ourselves that if I just had more, I'll be okay because he had it all, just like Solomon of the Old Testament. And they come to the point where they go, having it all is meaning really nothing to me. So if we have Zacchaeus here, so broken, he's willing to sell out his family, sell out his friends, sell out all the people that he cares about, then thinking that that's going to make him somebody, but the people he's trying to be made somebody by, they don't want to have anything to do with them. And even worse than that, he now is kicked out of the temple because he's one of those evil tax gatherers, and now even God doesn't like him. Or at least that's what he thinks. He's broken because his people don't want him. He's broken because the Romans don't want him. And now even access to God himself has been removed, or at least his ability to go to the temple has been removed because he is sold out. And so he finds him here at the beginning of chapter 19 in despair, broken, without hope. Maybe that's where you find yourself today. You thought this was going to take care of itself, or you were going to reach whatever that was that you were reaching for, and you're going to be okay, everything's going to be fine, and you've come to the point where now it feels like you have been abandoned by God, and you wonder, what in the world can I do? That's where Zacchaeus is. Except that Zacchaeus hears about this new guy who's come to town. This new guy who seems to be talking about God in a way that nobody else is talking about God. In fact, this guy's talking about God as if he knows God and that as if he has an authority that nobody else seems to have. And so Zacchaeus begins to get a little excited about that. He begins to feel like that maybe there is a little bit of hope. And then he comes to discover that that guy who's coming from town to town, going places, actually likes tax gatherers. In fact, that speaker that's coming, this Jesus person, likes tax gatherers so much that he actually put one of them on his leadership team. And Zacchaeus is pretty excited about that. And then Zacchaeus discovers that Jesus is coming to his town, to Jericho. 
Now, I don't know what it is like here on the lake, but I know living in Branson, occasionally one of those stars would come, and they would sing their songs or do their dance or play their instrument or whatever. I'm assuming that happens around here on the lake, and so I don't know who your hero is. Maybe it's Bill Gaither that's coming in town. I don't know. Maybe it's Justin Bieber. I don't know who comes to the lake here. I don't know who comes, but just imagine that your hero is coming to town, and he's coming to the lake, and you get all excited about this, and you can't wait to see that person. Well, that's what's happened to Zacchaeus. This Jesus guy who likes tax gatherers, who seems to know God, is coming to my town, and so Zacchaeus rushes to go see him. But there's a problem. By the time Zacchaeus finds out about this, and he gets to the parade route where Jesus is passing through, the crowds are already there in front of him. Have you ever been to Silver Dollar City when they got the Christmas lights, and you show up just a little bit late, and the line is already right there? Maybe you've been to Disney World there, and you can't get in, and so you're kind of pushing your way through, but you're a tax gatherer. So if you're a tax gatherer, you can't push your way through the crowd like I do, because if you push to the front of the crowd, then you expose your back as a tax gatherer, which looks like a pretty good place to put a utensil if you're a person who's had to pay some of the taxes. And so Zacchaeus is like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he begins to think, I know what I'll do. I'll run ahead of the crowd to get a better spot on the way that Jesus is passing through. Now, now a couple of things about this passage that you've got to understand. Number one, grown men don't run in this time. They don't run in that time frame. They had that dress thing that men don't know how to run in anyway, that tunic, so they couldn't run that way, but it wasn't sophisticated. It wasn't important to run. In fact, first service, somebody was saying, did I see you running out here the other day? And I'm like, no, only way you'd see me running if I was being chased. That's the only way that you're going to see me, and it's going to be a very short run is all you're going to see out of me because I will be caught and eaten, whatever it is that's chasing me at that time. But grown men didn't run. It wasn't acceptable during that time. But we discover here that he runs, and then he does even something more spectacular, is that this guy who's thinking about being important, wants to be seen as valuable, wants to see, be seen as somebody, has actually climbed a tree. Now, I don't, I don't know how it is around the lake, but if you find your mayor in a tree, or you find your businessman in a tree with a suit, please call 911 for them, because that's just not acceptable. We don't do that in the community, and all of a sudden, Zacchaeus who wanted to be somebody, now doesn't care what anyone else thinks about him because he thinks there's an opportunity that to, for that guy who's coming to actually fix what's broken in him. And so he climbs a tree and waits. Now, I don't know if Zacchaeus was a second guesser or not, but I'm a second guesser. Any of those of you out here a second guesser? If you can't decide whether you're a second guesser or not, you are a second guesser. And so am I a second guesser? No, I don't think I am. Yeah, I think, yeah, no. I'm not a second guesser. I'm like a 50th guesser. And so I have this vision of Zacchaeus climbing the tree going, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. Why have I climbed this tree? And I see him climbing down the tree. And he goes, but where else can I go? And he climbs back up that tree. And then he climbs back down that tree. I don't know how long it is, but you know when you're waiting for a parade, those are the longest times in life, aren't they, to wait on a parade? And so he waits. And finally... The crowd begins to do what crowds do. They get a little restless, and they begin talking, and, and then it's, there's this noise that happens. Then he begins to think, well, well, maybe Jesus is on his way, and he, he's looking there, and then here comes Jesus, and I don't know how you envision Jesus coming. I don't know if he's high-fiving people or fist-bumping, and they got the lower disciples out there clearing the crowd. I don't know how that works in your mind. But Zacchaeus from the tree is able to see Jesus, and he's looking, and he's looking, and Jesus is looking at everybody, and then all of a sudden it it looks like Jesus is 
looking at Zacchaeus. Have you ever been in one of those situations, you're making eye contact with a person and, and you wave at them and they're waving and you think they're waving at you but they're not waving at you, you intercepted the wave and they're waving at somebody else and you're like, oh yeah, right, that's good and you walk away, has that ever happened to you? But Zacchaeus, the longer he looks, becomes more and more convinced that Jesus is looking at him. Yeah, Jesus looks at somebody else and shakes their hand or whatever it is, but Jesus begins to, to gaze at Zacchaeus, and he looks up, and Zacchaeus is like, I think he's looking at me. And his heart begins to pitter-patter and go faster. And as Jesus begins to make the way, it, it looks, Zacchaeus, it looks like Jesus is coming my way. And then Jesus gets closer and closer, and then Zacchaeus hears something that he never thought he would ever hear, and that was his name being called by Jesus. Can you imagine? You're in line, and Bill Gaither says, hi, so-and-so, whoever your name is, and you're like, he knows my name. Remember Lightning McQueen? He knows my name. How does he know my name? And Zacchaeus begins to think, do I have a name tag on or something? But for the first time in probably a very long time, Zacchaeus heard his name called not with anger, not with some figurative language built around his name, but with a kindness and a mercy that he had never heard before. And then Zacchaeus heard something that shook him to his core. Because Jesus says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I'm coming to your house today. Now, now, this was not Jesus inviting himself over to the rich guy's house for lunch. That's not what Jesus is doing, right? If Jesus was hungry, he can take some stones, make some bread. Jesus is fine, right? This is Jesus inviting himself into a relationship with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is blown away by that thought. And notice what Zacchaeus does. He hurries down and receives him joyfully. Now, if I were to say to you as you're walking out and say, hey, I'm coming to your house for lunch, first off, you'd go, who do you think you are, right? That's the first thing you would think. And the second thing you would think, oh, well, you're a preacher kind of a person, so I've got to be nice to you. And so you'd be thinking about, oh, I can't, how'd you come to my house? Because you'd be thinking about the bathroom that you didn't clean before you left this morning. You're thinking about the dirty clothes that are everywhere. How many of you remember those formal living rooms we used to have in our houses that when you grew up and you had the formal living room, you kept clean, so if guests showed up, you kept them in there so they didn't see how you really lived back behind the scenes, right? You don't want to see that kind of stuff, and you just picked up stuff and threw in there, right? Remember those days? Most of us would have an excuse for that person not coming to our house unannounced, but here Jesus unannounces himself by announcing himself, and Zacchaeus says, please come to my house. Now notice the two reactions. Zacchaeus is welcoming. The crowd is skeptical. In fact, the crowd begins to cry out, Jesus, you don't understand who this guy is. This guy is a sinner. But notice what Zacchaeus does. Instead of stopping Jesus from coming, he says something's happened to him. He says, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you see all the stuff that I've got, but Jesus, I make a promise to you that half of everything I own, I'm going to give to the poor. I don't know who it was that went in the, up that tree, but it was not the same guy who came down from that tree. Because here's a guy who's been trying to gather stuff so he becomes somebody now, at the simple invitation of Jesus coming to his house, is now willing to give away half of his stuff. 
It's startling when you read Luke chapter 18 because there's a guy who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, sell everything. And the guy says, no, thank you. And here's a guy where Jesus makes no command about giving anything away, but he is so changed, he's so, we would call, converted in our modern technology terms. He is so converted that now he's willing to give away half of all that he's got just because Jesus is coming to town. And more importantly than that, he's willing to, do, to restore those people that he defrauded. In fact, I love their phraseology. If I defrauded anybody, hey, listen, he's a tax gatherer. You know that he did. But he doesn't just want to restore it one-fold or equal it. He doesn't want to go two-fold or three-fold. He goes four-fold. Talk about a radical change, and Jesus makes maybe the most shocking statement in all the scriptures. He says, today's salvation is coming to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, what is it that Jesus was looking for in Jericho? Well, it's the same thing he's looking for here in Lake of the Ozarks, Osage Beach, Camdenton, wherever I am right now. I don't know where the lines are. That new road has confused me to the day, so I don't know where I am. Fortunately, I have a car that'll tell me how to go back home, and so I'll trust it. But the thing that he was looking for in Jericho is the same place and same thing that he's looking for here, and it's a person who recognizes not only are they defeated, but he's looking for people who are willing to surrender. To not just say, yes, I messed up, I've got a problem, but for a person who gives up everything and says yes to Jesus. Now, I, I am one of the most blessed guys you'll ever see. Married to a beautiful wife, 24 years. I've got two boys, a freshman who just finished his freshman year in college by the skin of his teeth, but he did finish the first semester, first school year of college as a freshman. And then I've got a ninth grade freshman boy as well. Two great, beautiful boys, kind, sweet, love the Lord, all those kind of things. So I've got that going for me. I get to work for Missouri Baptist. I get to travel around the state and help churches and encourage them and encourage people and their generosity. And then, obviously, I'm just tall, dark, and handsome. And so there's a lot of stuff that's just going right for me in my life. But another thing that goes well is that I have a family member who takes pity on me, and occasionally he will invite us to go on a cruise. In fact, he'll take my wife and I on a cruise, and, and he will pay for the cruise. Now, that, that's a pretty good family member, right, to occasionally to do that for me. And, and what, what's even better than that is that he takes me on, on a, a, what's called a crystal cruise. I don't know if you've ever heard of crystal cruise lines. If you've not, it, it's because they don't let people like you and me on their particular cruise ships. It, it's like only the important people are able to go on those ships, and it's like a five-star, six-star cruise experience. Everything is five course meals and it's wonderful there's there's 900 people on the ship and there's 600 people to take care of the 900 people on the ship in fact there are so amazing that sometimes it's a scary feeling but sometimes i can look across the entire deck and i don't see anyone which is a little unnerving when you're on an ocean liner outside in the ocean but but there is just so much room out there and these are cruises that don't just no offense to bermuda or anything like that love bermuda but, but it's not just a little trip to Bermuda and back. These are, these are cruises that leave like Los Angeles and they go to Miami. Okay, those kind of 
cruise ships. They, they go in the Baltic Sea, and they travel around there. In fact, last year, I got a two-week cruise around New Zealand. Can you imagine a cruise around New Zealand? It's pretty amazing stuff. In fact, I get to go on a cruise a couple of weeks. Anybody want to join the family? That's what I want to know. Okay, yeah. But in a couple of weeks, I get to go to a, a river cruise on the Danube. And these are wonderful cruises, see amazing things. But what's even better than that is that this family member flies us business class. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on business class flights or not, but they pull a little curtain there so that we can't see what the business class people get. In fact, in business class, they treat you like a human being on an airplane. It's just kind of this amazing thing that, that happens. They greet you, and then, Mr. Franks, what would you like to eat today? And they bring you a menu that's thick like the almanac, and you get to choose whatever it is, and it's real food. In fact, last year we flew on a flight, and the flight was 17 hours in the air. And I was disappointed when we landed. I'm like, can't we just keep going someplace? Because they, they, they come out and they lay your seat flat, all, all the way flat on those. In fact, in, in business class, this flight, they, they passed out pajamas for you to change into on the flight. Now, I'm from South Arkansas, and we don't wear our pajamas in front of other people uh, unless you're going to Walmart. And then maybe that's when you... <laughs> Maybe you wear it then, but, but I'm, I'm saying I am not going to put my pajamas on in front of everybody else. But then I look around in business class, and I'm the only one not wearing pajamas. So I go put my pajamas on so I can wear my pajamas. Then they bring a, a mattress cover for my little seat that lays back. And I'm like, this is just wrong. People, people shouldn't do this. And I you know, ask for more orange juice. Why, this is wrong, but would you bring me some more of this and bring me some more of that? And, and, and every cruise, every one of those trips starts the exact same way. I get an email from this family member. And it says, that's all it says, thinking about this cruise. That's got a link to the cruise. And it says, would you like to go? To which I hit reply, Y, E, S, send. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how long I'm going to be gone. I don't know what I'm supposed to wear. I don't know if I've got to sell my children while I'm gone. I don't know what. I, I would never sell them. I would rent them for that short period of time. It's fine. But I don't know. I'm just saying yes. In fact, I, I've got alerts on my phone and my email that I hear that if it were to come right now, I would stop the sermon and I would reply right now in the middle of the sermon. My record is 38 seconds from the time it hit my email box to the time that I sent a message back. And that's what Jesus is looking for today around the lake. He's looking for people who will say yes before they know. Who will say, yes, I'm in, Lord. What is it that you would have for me? Well, today, Neil, it's going to be pretty simple. You're going to wake up, get the kids to school. You're going to go to your job. You're going to come home, watch the basketball game or Champions League, whatever it is, and everything's going to be fine. Yes, Lord, I'm in. But it's also the person who wakes up and says, yes, Lord, who says, oh, well, Neil, today it's going to be bad news. The doctor's going to say it's cancer, and they're not really going to have a big plan for that. And you swallow, and you go, yes, Lord. Why? Because we know deep down in our souls what Zacchaeus knew is that having stuff, having a life of comfort, having everything go your way is not living. What is living is having our Creator dwell with us, to come to our house today. Are you saying yes to him? Or have you been saying no 
No, Lord, I can't do that. I don't want to walk through that. I, I don't want to follow you. I don't want to give up all these things. If that's you today, there's really good news. He's still looking for people. And you can say yes today. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you've been saying, no, I don't want to go through this. I don't like this. I don't want to do this. But today, you can say, yes, Lord, because I trust you. And I know what you're going to bring ultimately will be for my good and for your glory. So, Jesus comes to Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus says, yes. Will you? You can today. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? I don't know where you are. I mean, well, I, I know where you are. You're at Riverview Baptist Church. I got that piece of it. I know that. But I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you don't have a walk with Jesus today. In fact, maybe somebody drug you to church today, and you're here on vacation, and you got drug along because you don't go to church. But today, the Lord is stirring something in your heart. A reminder that you can't be too far from him. Because he is always near. And maybe he's been pursuing you for year after year after year. And today, of all places, of all times, he's calling you to say yes. And you just might. But today, let me encourage you to say that yes to him. You can trust him. Oh, is everything going to be perfect in your life? Oh, no, it's not. Is it going to get difficult? Yes. Is it going to get worse? Probably. But you'll walk with your creator for the rest of your days. And have that thing that's been broken in you healed. Maybe today you're a follower and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but your attitude hasn't been really good lately. Maybe there's too much month at the end of the money. Maybe there's too much loneliness. Maybe the grandkids don't call. Maybe the business is shaky. In fact, you may lose it all. But today you're going to change your mind because you know you can trust him. And you'll say yes. Whatever it is this morning, maybe it's the news of cancer or news of some other devastating disease, or maybe your marriage is not on the rocks, it's past the rocks. But today, you're going to say, yes, Lord, whatever comes, I will trust you and I will believe and I will obey. It may be a new opportunity that has been scarier than not taking the opportunity. But today, you're going to say yes whatever it is, for the glory of God and for the benefit of yourself and those around you, will you say yes? Father, it is so hard to say yes to you. I don't know why. It's really kind of the dumbest thing in the world for us to struggle to say yes. I mean, you're God, creator of all things. You're the sustainer of all things. You have provided a way for us, and yet, Father, it is so hard sometimes to say yes. That's why you come looking for us. In fact, today, Father, that you are looking for some people who will say yes before they know what's going to happen. They'll say yes before they know whether it's going to turn out okay or whether it's not going to turn out okay. Father, you're just looking for people to say yes to you today. My hope and prayer is that you will find them in this building, in this place. Father, I hope that I can be one of those as well to say yes to you. So, Father, give us strength and encouragement. Give us hope. Give us a confidence that's beyond this world. Give us Jesus for all who will say yes. Father, help your people. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to sing a